Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Is Otto Beckham Jr. washed up? I think you have to say he is, right? Wow. I don't know if there's a dirtier piece of laundry in the Cleveland Browns, or a cleaner piece of laundry, rather. I was trying to say washed up, he's dirty, he's old, raggedy, but really, his jersey comes off pretty much clean every week, right? Because he's, un- he's, not, he's not in the game. That's Jacob Recht with a really weird painting painting of a picture of a clean jersey up, and washed so up. So I had to go. I had to use two versions uh-huh. of, of the term. Uh huh. Keep explaining it. Makes you sound even smarter. <laughs> I am Tom Offerman, and this is the Steelers Standard. I asked that question to start because Odell Beckham Jr. was the best receiver in football in New York, and was okay. I was gonna say slow, slow your roll, but you you finished that with the New York, so it's okay. he was and no, he in was New York, right, 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 on pace to be the goat. I mean, like every mile marker he could hit, like most yards at this point in his career, most touchdowns at this point in his career, he flew past them, especially in receptions. I mean, he was lapping people as far as early in career and receptions. Well, there, was, there was no one else to throw the ball to in New York. No, but there was no one else you'd want to throw the ball to either at that point because it was automatic. Of you almost. just wanted to give it to OBJ. And the one thing that he was so amazing at that I don't see him do at all in Cleveland, at least to the extent that he would do with Eli in New York, was the slant was a killer for oh Odell Beckham gosh. Jr. I remember I mean, one year, the year the Steelers played him, it wasn't against the Steelers, but he was playing against the Ravens. And he took two slant routes to the house, and they were both like 70-plus-yard touchdowns. It's insane. He was the best at touchdown. that slant and then run after the slant. And, I mean, yeah, he used to make he used to make his bread and butter off of that in New York with Eli th- whipping him that ball. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you remember the catch he had against the Cowboys that was oh, just— Oh, which one? The one that you couldn't go 30 minutes without seeing on SportsCenter or NFL Network? True, but, I mean, he did defy no, the was, laws of physics great, there. Like, yes, it was a great catch. But then something happened when he got traded to the Browns. And I don't know if it's, you know, he had a, in my mind, fringe Hall of Famer, but he's going to get into the Hall of Fame, Eli Manning throwing him the ball in New York, that that was the main difference. Uh, or And now he's just, you know, Baker's just not that level of a quarterback and just doesn't know how to utilize a, a true number one like an Eli Manning does. Or is it just simply that his shelf life was really short and that, his window of dominance was that four to five year period in New York and he just got to Cleveland and injuries mm-hmm. caught up to him and age has caught up to him way earlier than anybody would ever expect, mm-hmm. obviously compounded by those injuries. And now he's just not the same guy. And it's it's a debate though. Like there is a legit debate in Cleveland nationally. Is it Odell or is it Baker in the Browns offense? And I think a lot of people nationally think that if you had Odell leave Cleveland and go to another team, you'd see a little bit of a renaissance with him. I don't know if I subscribe to that completely because I've seen some things with the Cleveland games where, yeah, Baker's had some terrible passes towards Odell. But then at the same token, Odell's run some bad routes that I think people will say, oh, Baker missed him again, but mm-hmm. when the quarterback misses people as egregiously as some of the Baker to Odell targets have been, you can probably bet on it being a wrong route being run, even though the quarterback s- suspect is Baker. I don't I mean, know about that. They usually because don't. If, if it's, it, I think it depends on well, the listen, quarterback. And it's you, either... and you finish your thought with saying 
if it's Baker, that gives you trepidation by but saying. But listen, I don't know it's if either it's the wrong route. routes being run or the quarterback and the wide receiver aren't on the same page because you don't see just a ball go 15 yards down the field the field for no then reason. Then why do usually. I see it happen so often with Baker? And not always just with Odell throw, with Odell being the target. Well, maybe because Baker's just not on the same page as his receivers. And that would be the same case with Odell Beckham Jr. But That's fair, but that means it's not unique to Odell Beckham Jr. But it seems to be happening to Odell more than the, the rest. Like, you see Peoples-Jones and Landry-Jones having big games, and oh, Baker's spreading the wealth to those guys when Odell's out. I mean... It's a legit narrative now that Baker plays better when Odell Beckham Jr. is not in the game. And you question, are they forcing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. too much? And it's shocking to me that Odell leads the Browns in targets this season, and he missed two games during the season. He's only played in five of their games, kind of limited in a couple of those games too as he works his way back from injury problems. But the fact that he's the leader in targets for that team and has been playing so pedestrianly and he's only played in five games, I mean, that kind of tells you they're kind of trying to force the issue a little bit when number 13's on the field. And Baker might feel the need to, I got to get my number one guy the ball. And it hurts Baker. And I think that the, you know, sample size, Mm -hmm. especially when you look at last year and how Baker played his best football of his career down the stretch last season without Odell Beckham Jr. It's definitely something that is worth examining that does Odell make Baker in this Brown offense worse? Worse. I think it's possible. I think maybe – I think you were to bring in a guy like Jarvis Landry, someone the at the equivalent of his level, someone not who was superstar level just in terms of – off the field presence and on the field capabilities, that guy could fit in a lot easier to this offense than Odell Beckham Jr. I think Odell Beckham Jr. when he first came over from Cleveland, this was not because Baker was already there and Miles Garrett was established as a top five defender regardless of position in, in the NFL and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb were already both there as the best running back tandem. Odell, <clears throat> excuse me, was kind of the first piece, right, of of big names to head toward Cleveland. And everyone was saying to themselves that, oh, okay, the Browns are really making an effort here. The Browns are really trying to build a team with legitimate players. And it seems that everyone that's come into Cleveland, whether it's via the draft or free agency, the only one not to fit in and not to succeed in this Browns offense or defense has been Odell Beckham Jr. When the Browns are playing like they want to play with Baker and at full health, full strength, I think the idea is obviously you run the ball a ton and your main two targets are going to Landry Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. Case Keenum comes in in the Denver game, and all of a sudden, it's it's the Aaron Rodgers show. You're getting a target. You're getting a target. You're getting a target. Nine different Browns receivers, tight ends, running backs had multiple targets in this game. And the fullback, Johnny Stanton, had was the 10th targeted receiver on Case Keenum's touchdown pass during the Broncos game. So... Ten guys involved in the offensive passing game, nine of which saw targets at least more than once. Keenum spread that wealth around. And yes, Landry Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. led the team in targets, 
but it was only eight for Jones and six for OBJ. So expect the spreading of the wealth with Case Keenum. I don't think you'll see a lot of plays designed to go to Odell or Landry deep down the field. I think what their game plan is with Keenum is first read, second read, get the ball out of there if those two aren't open, and take whoever's open right away. So that's why I think you'll see that trend continue against the Steelers the where spreading of the wealth. it's not just feed these main two guys. It's going to be this guy has four, Anthony Schwartz has five, Odell has six, Richard Higgins has three. If Peoples-Jones is healthy, he'll have five. It's going to be everybody's going to be involved in this passing game now. And do you think that's going to be beneficial to the Steelers? In terms of spreading the ball around, I don't know. See, the Steelers haven't done a terrible job at stopping the top dog receivers this year. I know they've gotten burned by Henry Ruggs, and everybody's getting burned by Jamar Chase, so I don't really know how you can criticize the Steelers for that. I mean, Marlon Humphrey, one of the best defensive backs in football, had him wrapped up with another Ravens defender last Sunday, and he still took it to the house for he 60 did a, yards. He did a stiff arm and then a spin move and so then took it 82, 82 yards. 82 yards. So you, you don't. You don't really criticize the Steelers for getting burned by no, him. No, 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 I'm not saying And Henry Ruggs is a burner, so you're going to get beat over, especially when Akella Witherspoon's out there, who, by the way, has not been out there since, since that game. Since that play. So uh, those that things game. are going to happen. But they've done a decent job as far as number one receivers so far. I mean, Devontae Adams had not a Devontae Adams-type game. Stephon Diggs didn't have his usual type game when the Bills played the Steelers. So, you know, things haven't – and they did a really good job. I know Geno Smith – is different, but you know DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are what makes that offense go with Russell Wilson in Seattle, and they did nothing in that game against the Steelers. Again, probably has a little something to do with the guy throwing the football, but still good on the Steelers' defense. So honestly, Jacob, if it was just a yeah, they go to Landry Jones and yeah, they go to Odell most of the time, I'd maybe feel a little more confident than the fact that you know these third and fourth DBs for the Steelers that are on the field, the Pierre's and the lanes, they're going to see a lot of the attention and a lot of the targets because they're going to be the ones that are on Higgins in the slot or Peoples-Jones in the slot or Schwartz in the slot, and they're so going to have to take them out. And Sorry. I get nervous that the Browns are going to be able to exploit those defensive backs. Okay, so that was my follow-up question. Who do you think has the edge there? Guys like Pierre, guys like Justin Lane, or third-string, fourth-string receivers on Cleveland? If it was the Browns with a really good quarterback, I'd say the Browns for sure have the edge. Their quarterback is just such a question mark that anything that you talk about with their passing game and their receivers, is it comes with a grain of salt because I think they have a really strong receiving core because I do think even though he's probably not New York Giant good, I think Odell's still a pretty decent player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think Jarvis Landry's one of the more underrated wide receivers in football. Peoples-Jones makes his impact felt all the time, too, for that offense as the, th- the, the third receiver for them. And, and Higgins and Schwartz, they, they do their thing. And the tight ends, Austin Hooper and Njoku, they make their impact felt, obviously, in run blocking, but also Njoku is a really big weapon in the passing game, too, and, and a specimen of a human being. I mean, he's a mismatch right. waiting to happen. I think he's just having a little slower start to his career, but I bet he hits his stride in the next couple years here and becomes a problem for some teams with the Cleveland Browns at that tight end spot. So I mean, he's been they a got problem. a lot he's of He's been a problem already. They got a lot of weapons, man. It's just the guy getting them the ball and I know it's not Baker this week most likely. It's going to be Case Keenum, but like we've said multiple times on the shows we've done this week, that's not a huge drop off between Baker and Case Keenum. So if I really wouldn't have that much fear with Baker Mayfield really exploiting 
you know, the mismatches that this receiving room depth could have against the Steelers secondary, I'm definitely not going to worry about Case Keenum doing it, especially when I just laid out Case Keenum doesn't throw the ball down the field at all. I'm I'm not really worried too much about the, the because of the quarterback, game. right? Because of the quarterback and because just overall they don't typically go to the passing game to begin with. Even with Baker Mayfield out there and healthy, they're still it, it's obvious the, the the Browns winning formula on offense is about 70% uh rushing game, 30% passing game, somewhere in that neighborhood, if not more so 75-25, right? So I can't imagine that with Nick Chubb, especially with Nick Chubb back, Tom, and Baker Mayfield out, that that number would skew towards Morse to 50-50. I think so, too. But again, Baker's probably not going to play in this game, so... Well, that's what I'm saying. Without Baker Mayfield and with Nick Chubb healthy, why would the Browns say, oh, let's get cute, as we've kind of given the criticism to the Steelers at times for their offense over the past couple of years. Why would they say with their quarterback out and their starting running back healthy and available, let's let's throw them for a curveball here and throw the ball and not run it at all? You mentioned Nick Chubb, so let's get to him. Okay. I think he's the second best running back in football right now behind King Henry. Um, he is fourth right now in the NFL as far as rushing yards is concerned, but he's only about 50 yards behind second place. Just to put things in perspective, Derrick Henry is 290 yards in front of second place right now. Unbelievable. He's almost 300 yards better than the next best person in the NFL. That's unbelievable, but you know what? Isn't it almost just as impressive that Nick Chubb is only 50 yards behind second place and he's missed two games already this season? Oh, I mean, I think didn't he do the same thing last year? He missed like five games but he's last still year and he still finished like fourth in the league. He's 50 yards behind being the second-best rusher in the league without playing the Chargers game and without playing this past weekend against Denver. And that's also when you consider last year. That's also playing alongside Nick Kareem, or Hunt. Kareem Hunt. You're splitting carries, and you're still finishing in the top five. Exactly. So that, like I said, I don't think it's that far-fetched. What Derrick Henry's doing is uh, it's you can't fathom it. It's hard to even wrap your head around. We, we have said it is MVP League MVP worthy. But in a way, man, Nick Chubb is almost just as impressive when you add in the factors of splitting carries when he is healthy and missing two games, and he's still right there pretty much at the very top of the league other than Derrick Henry as far as rushing is concerned. Now there is no Kareem Hunt this week, and like you said, the Browns love to utilize that battery at running back. They love to go Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb 50-50, and I think that's incredibly smart for them because – Kareem Hunt is a capable back in this NFL and would start for a majority of the teams in the league. I would say two-thirds of the of the league would have would, him would start him. and be their workhorse back, and mm-hmm. he's getting 20-plus carries a game, and he's being utilized in the passing game. So it, it keeps him fresh, and it keeps Nick Chubb fresh, and that's a scary prospect because in the fourth quarter, Nick Chubb being completely fresh is going to terrorize a defense that's been worn down all game long. Now it's Dearness Johnson and Nick Chubb as the two running backs. And Dearness Johnson, don't get me wrong, had a really good game against Denver, 146 yards. He had 22 carries, a great debut for him, running behind a really great offensive line. 
I don't see them becoming a battery this weekend, though. I, I think Nick Chubb gets the Derrick Henry treatment. I think mm-hmm. he's getting 27, 30-plus carries in this game. I think you do see Dearness Johnson every once in a while. Sure. But it's not the capacity. They'd, they'd be silly not to. It's not the split of Chubb and Hunt, though. No. I think it's no, going to no, be no, no, majority. No, no. It's it's 90% Chubb this time. I think they love to do that one-two punch when they can, but when only one of them is healthy, that one becomes a workhorse. If it would Hunt, it would be Hunt, but if it's Chubb, it's going to be Chubb this weekend. I think that's their game plan. I don't think that they're in love with, oh, we got to use two running backs 50-50. I think they're only in love with that because of the two running backs they usually have that can that they can use at a 50-50 clip. Now that it's just Chubb, I expect him to get 90%. Probably 90. Yeah, yeah, I would say even though Dearness Johnson impressed, it's still not enough to say, hey, we respect you. This is Cleveland speaking. We respect you equally to Kareem Hunt, so we're going we're going to split carries 50-50 here. I don't think that's the case at all. I think you have to go with Nick Chubb. If if it were Kareem Hunt out there, I would say plan for both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But now with just Chubb, you really you'd be fools not to just spend your majority of your running back defense meetings on Chubb. The match it, it, would it, would it be a waste of time to plan for Deion Johnson? Yes. Yes, it would be. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be the typical Steelers overlooking an opponent or overlooking some guy. <laughs> if, right? you pre- if you can prepare for Nick Chubb, you should be good for whatever Dearness Johnson's exactly. throwing at you. Exactly. Nick Chubb versus the Steelers linebackers. That's a matchup that scares the hell out of me. I don't even know. I, I can't imagine how 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 bad of a mismatch that could be. With again, how we mentioned in the previous episode. Cam Hayward working alone on the defensive line. What damage Nick Chubb can do when he gets to the next level against Joe Schobert and Devin Bush. And it's not just what damage can Nick Chubb do when he gets to that next level. What can those guards do? What can those offensive linemen do? What can those three tight ends do? Because the big problem that's plaguing the linebackers, other than their play just being below the line, is the fact that the defensive line isn't doing their job as kind of blockers for them. And guards, tackles, tight ends, they're getting into the second level, and Schobert and Bush are having to fight off blocks from big dudes in order to try to make tackles. And those two aren't built to do that. You know, they're not built to f- eat a linebacker or a, to eat an offensive lineman's block and then still go get the tackle. I think that's definitely hurting them this year. And I'm really worried in this game that you're going to see that at its worst so far in 2021 the line getting to the second level the running back getting into the second level and bush and schobert just really having to play an incredibly physical football game that just wears them down as the game goes on so i really get scared about that matchup for sure in this game as as one that the browns are going to look to exploit and exploit a lot absolutely and and tomlin in his press conference yesterday touched on that Twofold. He, he he mentioned how good the Browns running game is and how great their offensive line is. And equally, how much the Steelers need to prepare for on the defensive side of the ball for that rushing attack. How how so far the the rush defense for the Steelers have fared against somewhat competent rushing offenses, but this is unlike anything they faced so far this year. On the defensive side of the ball, how confident are you in the Steelers offensive tackles? Again, we don't know who those two will be for the most part yet, but 
How do you think they fare against Miles Garrett and Jadeveon Clowney? The only two members of the Cleveland defense with multiple sacks. Nine and a half sacks for Miles Garrett, three and a half for Jadeveon Clowney. And Clowney, again, three and a half sacks. That's not, he's not that's more not horrible. And he's not known as a pass rusher, really. He's known more as a disruptor and a run stopper. I know he came into the league with high expectations as that number one pick and that freak of nature uh, at South Carolina against, yeah. against Michigan. But, you know, his NFL career has never been a sack-the-quarterback type of guy. He's I really, think one time, like one year when he was in Houston playing alongside J.J. Watt, that was it. But he's really cut his teeth as far as being a run-stopper and just disrupting opposing offenses and what they want to do. So those two guys are world beaters. Miles Garrett is an all-pro. I get worried that no matter who the tackles are, they're going to have trouble and I hope that they spend a lot of attention on 95 because that They're dude's a stud. To. That dude's right in the front running for defensive player You want to talk year. about mismatch between the Steelers' inside linebackers and, and, er, and Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns' offensive line? This could be the biggest mismatch of the season for the Steelers all year long, Miles Garrett and, their offen- and the Steelers' offensive line. Right, I mean, we saw Miles Garrett have what five, five sacks. sacks against Chicago. Yep, with an old Ben Roethlisberger, that it it, it could Here's lead the deal. to that kind of day. The Browns have twenty sacks on the season, nine and a half for Miles Garrett's, and twenty sacks and is nine, top. And, and, and twenty sacks them, is top five in the NFL. And nine of them came in one game against five Chicago. Five of them came in one game. Yes, no, not, I mean they had nine. Oh, as a team, total. yeah. You're saying twenty sacks on the year, nine came against. The Bears in one game. So you could say that those stats are a little inflated, but you can't take that game away from them. I mean, they, You can't take Miles Garrett out of the equation. Uh, you agree? Unless Miles Garrett is off the field, you cannot take Miles Garrett out of the equation when preparing for this team. No, and Miles Garrett barely ever leaves the field. That's the biggest problem, too, you, you, you face with him, is that he's, he's an athletic freak. I mean, he is athletically probably the most imposing defensive player in the league One of, right now. Probably the scariest As far guy. as like With James size, now weight. being retired for a couple of years, it's Miles Garrett taking the podium as the scariest looking Most physically league. imposing yes. player, yeah. I mean, how about that one play, I forget which game it was, two weeks ago where he was sleeveless, right? There was a photo of him sleeveless, and the next day he got the letter from the NFL saying, Yep, tomorrow morning you'll be asked to come in for your drug test. Uh, you'll go this direction, and you'll do it here. And you know he passed it with flying colors because he, he ain't juicing. He's just a freak. He's just a and, freak. And uh, you, you know what? It really sucks that he had to fly off the handle like he did against Mason Rudolph and kind of put that black eye on himself because the league is doing its best job to try to forget that that ever happened. I will never forget that that ever no, happened. And it will, as a Steelers it will, fan, you will never forget. It will forever tarnish how I feel about Miles Garrett because, Jacob, there's no question, even though he's playing for arch-rival Cleveland Browns, if he didn't do that and he was just his you know, typical ho-hum, I like poetry, blah, blah, blah self, I think he'd be one of my favorite players in football. But the fact that he had that Even short playing fuse, for the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, just because I'm so uh, obsessed with greatness and he is greatness right now, but you the know, fact that he had that short fuse and just was such a bonehead. But not only that, the fact that he didn't apologize for it, the fact that he made an excuse for he it. He doubled down. Doubled down with a and BS not that, excuse. Not only that, I mean, that is that is intent to injure. That is intent then, to concuss, and then the league's response. That's, that's what also just buries it, too, for me, is that the league is just like, well, it was, we'll forget about we'll it. We'll give like, you a four-game, a five-game suspension for the rest of the which year. Which is harsh. 
That is pretty good for the NFL. Yeah, but, but I mean, then they there just, have been guys who have been penalized a lot never more hear, for a lot less. But you never hear about it anymore. Now it's just the puff pieces again about Miles Garrett and how great he is. And, oh, he loves poetry. Isn't that cool? This big guy loves poetry. I mean, they've completely moved on from what was a complete and utter embarrassment on his part. To the league, too. Yeah. To show that that kind of frustration is, is capable and that kind of – that kind of intent to harm is capable in your league. So that, I think, is forever going to tarnish the way I look at Miles Garrett. But if you just look at it from a strictly playing football perspective, he's top three defensive player in the league right now. It's it's Watt, Donald, and Miles Garrett. I think those are, the, I think I think the those are your top three yeah. right now. Um, I don't know if that's the race for defensive player of the year because Trevon – Trevon Diggs is way out in front of everybody else there. I'm just saying for the best. But as far as your player, best player, best player, those three I think yeah. are at the top of the list right now. And yeah, that matchup between the tackles for the Steelers and Miles Garrett is one that's going to keep me up at night, and I'm sure it's keeping Chooks, Banner, and more up at night all week long. That'll do it for this episode of Steelers Standard. Thanks as always. We will talk to you guys on our next edition. For Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Opperman. Like I said, we'll talk to you guys on the next edition.